This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability in the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now, back in February, the news that those of us in the district lucky enough to have gardens were going to have to pay for the garden waste that we put into our green bins to be taken away was greeted with outcry. But St Albans District Council stuck to their guns, saying that COVID had made cutbacks necessary and it was only fair that people who had gardens should pay for their green waste collection rather than be subsidised by those who don't have gardens. Now, back in February, the sign-up date of the 14th of June seemed, well, it seemed quite a long way off. So if you're like me, you put it to the bottom of your to-do pile and forgot about it. So here we are in June, facing the prospect of a massive pile of garden waste accumulating on the back lawn unless we pay up or get composting. So how about the get composting option? Can you really compost all that green stuff? Won't it stink? Won't it be a complete eyesore? Won't it be full of rats? Well, I spoke to two members of the St Albans Garden Buds Facebook group to pick up some tips. I spoke to newbie composter Danielle, who we'll hear from later, and to old hand Andy. I started by asking Andy how he'd got started with composting. I think it was when my wife and I moved from a flat to a house, Amanda. At that point, then we've got a, a garden which we could actually start doing our own composting. Um, so yeah, it got a fairly cheap one of those Dalek black bins uh, in the garden and, and started putting everything into it, really. Okay, so it was as easy as that then? Pretty much, yeah, there wasn't too much to it. We had a, a lot of space in the corner we kind of had in mind to, to use for, for composting. Got the uh, the thing set up on a, a sort of fairly level base of soil and then started putting everything from the kitchen and all the, the clippings from the garden into the bin. Okay, so it, you just started off with quite a small compost bin, so it was hidden in a corner, so it wasn't a, an eyesore, it didn't have to overtake your garden or look too horrible then? Absolutely, the garden was pretty much a blank slate when we moved in, it was able to then kind of design it so that we had kind of composting areas in the back corner, so it's all kind of screened off so you don't see it from the house. Okay, so you've designed it into your garden rather nicely there. So how about odours from the compost heap? Does your compost heap smell? I mean, I won't say it's completely odourless, but it shouldn't smell terrible. Don't put dairy produce in, don't put meat in, don't put, certainly don't put animal waste in, uh, anything like that. And generally, it's just decaying vegetation. And obviously, that has a certain amount of smell, but it's not generally, you know, overpowering and unpleasant. Okay. So you've talked about putting the right thing into the compost heap there. So the advice is that you kind of need to balance the green sort of sappy garden waste with brown, woodier, drier sort of garden waste. Do you think about that balance when you're putting things into your compost heap or is it just anything goes? I mean, we do think about it, but it, sometimes it's what's available at the time. So, you know, you, you haven't always got the woody chippings. We, we've bought a a chipper actually to take the sort of large, you know, twigs and, and sticks down to sort of smaller levels. But it's only really when you're doing pruning that you've got that kind of material. A lot of the time it's it's kitchen waste, you know, uncooked vegetable scraps, uh, you know, shredded paper, that kind of thing. So you can usually get a, a, a kind of balance. 
but it obviously does vary when it's peak growing season for the lawn. You've got a lot more lawn clippings going in than uh, than you would do in clearly in the winter season. Okay, and you don't have a problem with lawn clippings because sometimes that can turn the compost a bit a bit smelly and slimy, can't it? I think the problem that happens is if you put a lot in a one go and you don't turn the compost, then yes, it forms a kind of uh, an impenetrable mat. But what we've got is you get this kind of corkscrew things. It's like a kind of thick wire corkscrew, you know, a couple of feet long that you can kind of wind down at the compost, pull it up to sort of bring the, all the stuff up to the, the top and the, it rotates it round and it stops anything forming too much of a kind of monoculture within the compost bin. Okay, that sounds like an excellent tip because all of this chopping things and turning things, it does sound like a bit of a workout. Um, and as well as time consuming, it sounds like you've got to be pretty fit for this as well. Is that right? I would have thought you need a certain amount of, of physical ability. Um, you know, certainly you can't get a, if you're in a compost, uh, big compost bin on your allotment, which is several feet wide and, you know, shallow, you can probably get a fork in and turn things over. But when you've got a sort of garden compost bin, you can't really get in to do that. So that's why these kind of corkscrew things allow you to get right down to the bottom and pull the stuff up. And yeah, I won't pretend it's, uh, it doesn't require any physical effort, but it can certainly, uh, you know, improve the way the compost mixes by using one of those. Okay. Well, it sounds like it also could be quite a useful little workout as well, if we're thinking about being a bit more active. So so you've said there that you've bought a, a chipper so that you can put your tree prunings and things like that into your compost. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to go and they can't just go in as sort of like thick branches, can they? That's right. You certainly need to uh, even kind of twiggy material will take a fair while to compost down if it's not um, broken up in some way. We did used to sort of chop things up with a pair of secateurs, but frankly, you know, if you've got any more than a few twigs, that starts to give you a bit of RSI if you're sort of chopping up much of that material and anything thicker. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't do that with. So that's really where the, the chipper came in. It cost less than £100 and it's, uh, it's definitely paid for itself as far as I'm concerned. And is there anything else that you don't put into your compost? How about things like weeds? Can you, are you all right about putting those in? I think most weeds, as long as they're going to be kind of there long enough that you think the seeds won't persist when they come out, um, I think you've got to be careful with certain things that spread with rhizomes. The rhizomes can persist through a, a composting cycle because it doesn't get quite hot enough in domestic compost bin. So have you had any problems with rats or is that not an issue for you? We have. And what we've ended up doing, we actually originally had the compost bin sited directly on the soil to allow the bugs to get access to it more directly. But what we ended up doing because of the uh, rodent issue was put some uh, flagstones just laid loosely down, butted up close, and then made sure they were as flat as possible, and then put the compost bin on top of those so that uh, rodents can't get in from underneath. Okay, and that's worked? You're, you're that's rodent certainly free. sorted it so far from, you know, the compost is, is now uh, free from usual uh, burrowing that you would see. And it works okay because, as you say, you started off with your compost heap on the soil so the bugs could get in. You found that it's still composting okay? even they still, on. They still manage to get in there when you should lift the lid now. I've just been up there to put stuff in um, at lunchtime. And, yeah, it's full of wood lice, worms, slugs, snails, you know, uh, all the kind of things that uh, that help to break down what's in there. Okay. So how long does it take then to, to break down? You've obviously got quite a lot of activity going on in your compost heap. I think, I mean, it's the kind of cycles probably maybe sort of nine months from when we put stuff in to when we start taking it out. Okay. So you've got to be fairly patient then. And what do you use your lovely compost for? A mix of things. I mean, in the past, we've put some in uh, in pots on the, the patio. 
Um, we've grown other other things in the you know courgettes uh, using that compost, and it also then gets spread on the garden generally just to kind of act as a mulch to uh, to enrich the the clay soil that we have around here. Okay, and and do you think your gardens benefited from that? I would say so. I mean, the things that we've put in, as I say, starting from a very much a blank slate, the rowan tree has grown to quite some height from a, a very small sapling that we planted. Um, several other shrubs that done very well and plants generally seem to seem to thrive in the garden with the compost. So I take it that you are able to manage now without your green bin, so you won't be paying to have a council green bin? We've actually never used the green bin, even before it was free. When it was free, we never put stuff in the green bin. We've managed to compost everything that we've produced, both in the, the kitchen and everything from the garden has always gone on the compost, so we've never used a green bin. So it's not really an issue for us, the fact that we now have to pay. Now, Andy does make composting sound really quite straightforward, doesn't he? So I thought that we should find out from composting newbie Danielle if it really was all plain sailing. I started by asking Danielle why she decided to give composting a go. So it was summer of 2019 that I got my raised veg boxes and I didn't have a great harvest that year. So then... 2020 came obviously lockdown I thought right we've got to become more (laughs) self-sufficient we've got to produce more of our own food and I got some more boxes these are raised beds that you've got for your garden are they yes yes raised beds and I literally scrounged for any topsoil and compost that I could find which was either free or being given away or and, and bought a few bags as well, obviously peak free. And it, it, it just compacts. There was never quite enough, you know. So I thought, right, I've really got to start making my own as well. And I already had a pile of rubbish in the corner, which I considered was the beginnings of a compost bin. So I got some different sized pallets. I never realised you could get them in different sizes, so they don't match. (laughs) And like with everything else in my life, I cobbled together (laughs) two boxes, so open front ends, but three sides, and put all the leaf mould in one of them and started just chucking in all my kitchen waste into the other one. And that was, yeah, that was autumn last year. So now I've got one which has just been left and forgotten. I put cardboard across the top and and I don't know what's underneath there, all the leaves. I'm hoping it's going to be brown gold. And then the second one, which I've been filling with, with kitchen waste and weeds and shredded branches and things like that, is getting quite full. And I'm sort of thinking... When do you stop and when do you think you need to start another one? So I really don't know. I'm just going by eye and guesswork, really. And where have you gone for advice, Danielle? You know, Keith Adsley from Eat Hold Foods, I tell you, when you go to that stall in the market, you get more than just your rice and your lentils. <laughs> he gave me some fantastic advice. And he said, get cardboard from Amazon, from Neighbours, from all your loo rolls, absolutely everything, and put that in there. So I've been duly doing that. I'm on a Facebook group about composting. So have you actually produced any compost yet? I don't know. No, I no, nothing that I can use. I'm really hoping that right at the bottom of the pile there is some lovely black crumbly compost, but I need to turn it over. So but now I'm thinking, well, that means I've got to fork it all out onto the lawn and then mix it up and chuck it back in again. So actually I need a third box to just sort of flick it over into the next one. <laughs> so yet again, I have... I think you might be right there, Danielle. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So I literally am working it out as I go along. I've scavenged some more 
palette and that's my next job. Have you had any problems with things like smells or rats or anything like that? I think there might have been some rats or little mice or something. That doesn't bother me, to be honest. They're there anyway. Okay, and how about the smell? Is the smell an issue? No, not at all. Okay, so are you going to be persevering then? It sounds like yeah. you're, you know, you're ready to expand with your third bay and things. Definitely, it's... definitely. So we're going to be asked whether we want to pay for keeping our green bins. Will you be keeping your green bin or will you be, do you think you're going to be managing without it? I don't think we need it very much. And we're very lucky. We've got quite a big garden, but we don't produce very much garden waste anyway. We've also stopped grass cutting, much to my husband's annoyance, but um, I'm persevering on that one too. Okay, so it's gone from no mow May to um, no mow June and June, possibly July, we'll go to no mow July as well. Yes. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, as you say, adjusting your gardening style can be part of the uh, part of the garden waste reduction uh, measures as well, can't it? Daniel, thank you so much for for showing that, and uh, we're fingers crossed that uh, that you get there in the end and you produce that uh, that black gold that you're looking for. I was talking there to Daniel Durant, and many thanks to her and to Andy Grant for sharing their composting experiences. So whilst composting isn't for the hasty and might involve a bit of trial and error, it is a great way of closing the circle of life in your garden, reducing your reliance on peat-based composts and saving you a bit of cash. And there's lots of advice available, not only from the lovely fountain of knowledge that is Keith at the Eat Whole Foods Market store, but from local gardening Facebook groups, from local allotmenteers, or from going along to one of the sustainable St Albans open food gardens and chatting to other gardeners there. And there's also lots of advice on the Hearts County Council website where you can also buy a subsidised compost bin made from recycled plastic. And I'll put the link and the other links uh, into the notes that accompany the podcast of this show, which you'll find on the podcast page of radioverulam.com. Now, if you do want to give up your green bin completely and you've got trees or shrubs in your garden that you prune to give woody waste, you could invest in a chipper like Andy has done. Um, and perhaps you could share in the cost of one with neighbours. Um, it is hard work, but you can also chop up the smaller woody stuff by hand and add it to your compost heap. And the bigger pieces of wood can be piled up to make a log pile. Now, the Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust have just produced a blog explaining the importance of dead wood for so many creatures. So your waste wood could actually be the start of a fantastic new habitat in your garden. And such is the importance of log piles for beetles that the People's Trust for Endangered Species, they've set up an online map on which you can register your oh-so-important log pile. I'm just saying, but there's non-registered in St Albans so far. I'll put a link in the programme notes to the PTES log pile map and also to their instructions for constructing the best log pile for beetles and for other creatures that need rotting wood to survive. And if you want to see a log pile in action, then there's one in the Hudson Middlesex Wildlife Trust Wildlife Garden down next to Grebe House in Verulamium Park. And actually, it's looking rather lovely down there in the garden at the moment, so it is well worth a visit. Now, if you do decide that you still need your green bin, you'll need to sign up for the Greenway subscription service now. If you sign up later, you'll still pay the same. You'll just miss out on the first collections. 
So go to the Garden Waste subscription part of the St Albans District Council website. It's very easy to find. It'll cost you £45 a year or £35 if you're in receipt of council tax reduction. And remember that you can still take your own green waste for recycling at local household waste recycling sites for free. Please resist the temptation to dump your green waste on a verge somewhere. Not only is it illegal fly tipping, but green waste is one way that invasive, non-native species are spread around the countryside. And please also don't sneak your green waste into landfill, as uh, organic matter in landfill produces lots of methane, which is a powerful climate change gas. So have you got any compost tips you'd like to share? If so, love to hear them. You'll find me on Twitter at RV underscore environment or go to the Environment Matters Facebook page or you can drop me a line on amanda at radiorevelum.com. Always good to hear from you. Next week, we're going to hear from Sustainable St Albans trustee Catherine Ross about the findings of the St Albans Residence Climate Change Survey. Should be some interesting findings there. Until then, thanks for listening.